We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome into the So Rare Andrews podcast brought to you by Rotowire. I am Andrew Laird, senior soccer editor of Rotowire. Joined as always by Andy Black. And we have special guests, two guests actually, but the first one is here to start, Maxime Hagenbouget from So Rare Data. Maxime, welcome back. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here, to be on. Oh, appreciate that. Um, we had this idea to talk about the currency of So Rare last week and seemed everything changed since then, or at least we got some significant uh, differences of what we were going to talk about. So we went from having like a few things to talk about to I feel like a thousand things. And we thought um, Maxine was a per perfect person to bring on to discuss all of that. Um, so it seems like, uh, actually, I don't even want to try to explain what's going on because like it's so far out of my realm of expertise. But Aishi, uh, if you could just explain to us what the uh, what the announcement was from Sora this week and why it matters for us. Yeah. So basically, right now, so th there's a lot of thing. Uh, uh, there are a lot of things to say, but let's start with the beginning. Um, Sora is using the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, which is pretty cool because it's one of the most advanced and secure blockchain out there. Uh, why are they using a blockchain, <laughs> you might want to ask. Um, it's pretty simple. It's actually enabling Solaria because without a blockchain, you could not have like a secondary market. You could not be really owning, uh, yeah, own your cards because... Uh, when you own a digital asset, let's say in Fortnite or another popular game, you're not actually 
owning the item. It's like um, the editor giving you access to it. So if you want to sell the, this asset, you can't do it. So um, basically, blockchain is what matters here. Like it's enabling um, NFTs and uh, digital cards, also scarcity uh, being um, transparent and you can actually check on the blockchain that there are none, uh, not more than a hundred cards for each player, etc. Also, what's really interesting is that it's also enabling Sorare data because without a blockchain or a transparent, um, let's say, infrastructure like a blockchain, I wouldn't be able to have Sorare data uh, right now. Just like uh, to illustrate, um, my girlfriend is selling and buying stuff on the internet, like, you know, clothes. I don't know. In France, there's a popular brand called Vinted and you're selling and buying stuff, etc. And I was like, uh, is there some kind of Vinted data or something like that? And she said, well, of course not, because it's not transparent at all. When you buy something, uh, when you sell something, like Vinted knows about it, but the whole world doesn't know about it. So you can't do that. And it's actually um, a, a, some kind of a revolution because any third party could develop an app uh, on Sora because it's on a blockchain. So, yeah, so the, the first thing is you have to use a blockchain to do Sora, at least to do it well. And you have to use, let's say... Uh, a proper blockchain to uh, be at least legitimate. What is a proper blockchain? Um, that's my opinion. I would say uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum are uh, proper blockchains because they have a consensus that is strong enough. And that's uh, what that means is that no one can actually uh, modify um, some kind of information on the blockchain. When it's written on the blockchain, you have the guarantee that uh, it will not be modified, it will not be deleted by uh, anyone. So let's say the US government doesn't like what's going on on the Bitcoin network or on the Ethereum network. They can't go and say, oh, we don't like this. Let's stop this. It, it can't happen. Uh, why some other networks uh, are less decentralized and are uh, prone to, um, let's say, uh, arbitrary actions um, so ethereum and bitcoin being uh, with like thousands of nodes and thousands of miners around the world mean that it's really secure and that means that your cards will stay your cards and um, no one can do anything about it so that's also why we had bots buying cards and uh, um, like so i couldn't do anything about it because like they own the cards it's not like you can take them back away and like say no no it's not your card anymore um so yeah so that's why a blockchain exists well well that's why Sora um uses a blockchain and uses ethereum um and the problem with ethereum is that it's really slow it's like five to ten transactions per second when you compare it to visa or mastercard or any uh, database that exists in the normal world, you you laugh at it because it's so slow, and uh, you have a mechanism when if you want like the transactions uh, to go faster, you have to pay more transaction fees. So that's why 
sometimes SOA is not paying and it's not broadcasting transactions on the blockchain because they are paying the transactions for the users. Uh, in many decentralized applications, the users pay for their transactions. Here, so I decided to like pay for the users because they want people like they want SOA to be mainstream. So they don't want people to spend like fifty dollars uh, buying their a car. Goal, their goal really is to kind of hide the blockchain yeah. parts of uh, SoRare, like uh, not 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 only the the transactions, but also kind of the custody, right? I mean, the, yeah. the custody of the cards. Are, the cards are actually in a wallet that they have. Um, do they have the keys? I mean, I know I, yeah. I have access to my own keys. Yeah, but, but they, they have access to. I mean, that's how they move the cards, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, not exactly because okay. what what happens is that when you buy a card or when you bid on a card, you are signing a message saying, "Okay, I'm allowing this action." And what mm -hmm. Sora does is they are broadcasting this message on the blockchain saying. I'm doing this because this user asked me to do it and I'm paying transaction fees. Um, but what's, it, it's actually a cool way to do it. But the problem is um, they create your wallet and so they have access to it. Sure. Um, you could, uh, you could argue that uh, they are keeping your cards. Also, the, the fact is they have no interest in, uh, like right. keeping you away from your cards, but um, but they do have an access to uh, to your cards. Uh, but like I said, when you saw bots buying cards and uh, and everything, um, when the transfer was settled, they decided not to do anything about it. And I think that's a great sign because that means that they are not going to interfere on uh, already settled transfer. What I mean, they was... did, yeah. If there was ever a moment, it was the that Ronaldo card, the super. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and when they didn't do anything, that was them saying that we're not going to interfere. Yeah, to, to me, it was like a really be a really red flag if mm -hmm. they have done anything about it because that would mean that you set a precedent for not something. Your keys, and, not your cards, right? Yeah, it's exactly. So, so I mean, kudos to them. Not. Uh, overreacting and not doing bad stuff because of some people losing a lot of money. I mean, I'm very sorry for these guys, but mm -hmm. I mean, it's like Ethereum. I don't know if you guys heard about it. There was a big uh, bug um, sometimes yeah. in uh, 2016. DAO. No, the, the, the DAO, yeah. There was a um, like a smart contract that lost like uh, $20 million at, uh, at that time. And they decided to go back on the blockchain history to remove, like to revert all the transactions and um, refund everyone. And they did that once. And that was kind of a controversy because uh, Ethereum forked, so divided into two networks. Uh, some people did not agree with the decision to go back uh, in time. So they said, I'm out. It, it's not my philosophy, I'm going out. But um, like 80% of the miners decided to stay on the um, new chain. And um, so they, there were multiple bugs um, afterwards. But each time they said, no, we did it once. Maybe it was uh, one too many. And we're not going to do that again. Even if uh, like we had the multi-sig bug that lost like $500 million at the time. So 
I mean, Soa is doing the, the uh, is doing like um, good on this side, at least in my opinion, and that uh, they are not infer interfering with the, the ownership of the cards, so that's good. But you have to keep in mind that uh, they are actually hosting your keys on their servers, and that's why you have such a great user experience. Also, so that's uh, good on one side, but. Uh, also, you have to keep in mind that if you want to withdraw your cards and just say, no, so I, do, I don't want you to, st to store my cards, um, well, the, you can do it. You can uh, withdraw all your cards to another address. Uh, it will cost you a lot of money, of course, <laughs> uh, with the state of the network right now, but you actually have the power to do it and sell your card on another platform like OpenSea. Um, I know that uh, guys like Mark, um, you never walk alone, uh, did that a lot uh, in the beginning when uh, fees were cheaper. And um, you can use your cards on stuff like Solar Data or Ubisoft or whatever comes next. So that's the beauty of, um, of blockchain. So the problem with Ethereum being slow and too expensive. Um, so I spent like millions, uh, really millions uh, in transaction fees uh, in, in the last month. And um, well, yeah, well, let, let's say since in 2021, I think that's it's in millions. So even if they are making a lot of money, I mean, you have to, yeah, you have to say, uh, what if we could like lower the transaction fees a bit <laughs> so we can make more money? Yeah. Um, I'm not worried about uh, sorry, a financial uh, system or something. I, I, I think they're fine, uh, but um, you always want to find the optimal you, solution. You know, honestly, the way I kind of think of it is if they can find the ultimate solution, whether it's, uh, well, we, we, we know where they're going now, but the more they can give back uh, to their users is yeah. kind of the way that I, I think of it. I mean, right now their hands are tied a little bit because, because of transaction fees and um, you know, it's cu definitely cutting into margins, but if you remove those fees or you limit those fees, you know, the, the hope from the users is hey, more, more is going to come back to us. Right. <laughs> yeah. Also, that's why we did not see a new scarcity until now because mm -hmm. uh, they are paying already too much transaction fees. So adding like uh, a thousand cards per player would be a disaster for them uh, in terms of transaction fees, of course. Um, Especially if those cards are worth a lot less because yeah. they're making less and then paying the same fee. Yeah, they're sometimes paying like $100 for cards being sold on the secondary market. So they're not... Uh, taking anything from um, from these deals because like they're not taking any uh, cuts on um, deals right now, or at least on the secondary market. So they're very generous, we could say, and I think it's not going to stay that way uh, a long time. I think when we will see the new solution being implemented, that they are going to uh, start implementing uh, slight fees on uh, secondary market. But yeah, the new solution. So solving. Uh, a slow network and expensive transactions. So you have something called uh, ZK, ro uh, ZK rollups. We won't go into the details, but basically it's saying we only put um, new states uh, on the Ethereum blockchain and we prove that we had the transactions to have uh, those uh, state changes. 
Um, and we can do that, like, let's say a thousand transactions in one batch and uh, just saying to the Ethereum blockchain, okay, we did that. And here's the proof we did this. Uh, it's complicated uh, technology. Uh, I'm not sure I, I could even no. explain it to you. Even the way I, I think further. a good way to explain it, HG, is they're kind of like delta changes. Like it's almost like a bulk yeah, change right. in one update. Like, like hey, uh, you know, here's one transaction. It has all, all of our updates in it. Yeah, but what you have to, let's say, someone could say, why aren't they doing this now? Um, we don't have the, we didn't have the technology uh, back in 2020 to mm -hmm. actually prove that these delta changes are actually justified by transactions. Mm -hmm. um, if you submit uh, state changes to the Ethereum blockchain, you have to prove that these these changes are actually legitimate. So you have to say, uh, we had one transaction saying, I'm selling Mbappe to this guy for uh, XF or something. Mm -hmm. And um, you have to prove that uh, you actually had a transaction, etc. cetera. Um, so that's what Starkware is doing. Um, and uh, so I will be uh, benefiting and implementing a solution on uh, Starkware, uh, at least um, their StarkX network. And that means no fees, basically no fees, unless they want to include some. Um, and that also means <laughs> instant finality, basically. Um, but that, that also means uh, maybe less data availability. I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, I need to see how it goes, but that would mean that uh, data would stay in Sawyer's hands. And maybe some other parties. <laughs> I've, I've, got a, I've got a good question for you, HG. What's yeah. the realistic uh, guesstimate on timeline? They said, what, July? Is that realistic at all? I mean, it, yeah. It, it, I mean, there are, there are projects that already have implemented um, these solutions and uh, they are working. You have DYDX, the exchange. And you have also Immutable X and uh, Gods on Chain. So okay. it's not impossible. But I mean, July is very ambitious. And if they do it, I mean, I will have a very busy month of July. And I will not enjoy my summertime, I think. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Before we keep going, we just brought on uh, Mr. Ibasso. Ivaldo, thank you for coming on. The uh, I believe this is the first time on the Rotowire podcast, and it took uh, so rare to to bring you on. Uh, yeah, which you know, I know a little bit about MLS this much. I know even less about so rare, and so like you got me on for the wrong topic. And, you know, I, I've listened to you for a long time, so it's a pleasure uh, to be on. Uh, but you know, what one thing I have always wondered a bit, Andrew, is why you know you're the guy asking all the questions. You went to Villanova. Uh, NYU. And, you know, it's my experience that, you know, Villanova folks are just uh, one small step more tolerable than like Goldman Sachs or Harvard folks in terms of like being the know-it-alls and knowing all the right answers. Uh, that small step below is why I ask the questions because I don't know the answers. So I bring smart people around and I get, I look smarter because I have smart people around me, uh, specifically well, I, on this know, podcast. 
I'm from the south side of Chicago and went to Northern Illinois University, so I'm not sure. You know, Maxine Black, these are these are legends of so rare. These are like godfathers of the so rare platform. So uh, just being in the same room, I'm I'm flattered. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I'm a godfather, where's my money? I mean, <laughs> where is it? Let me see the big ring finger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you forgot yeah. he's French, not Italian. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ivaldo, like uh, everybody who goes onto a SoRare podcast, you have to talk about why or how you heard of SoRare and why you decided to join. So if you could give us just a, a quick breakdown of why you put up with all of this stuff. You know, this is going to sound like a canned plug response, and it's not. I heard the damn commercial for it on your podcast talking about DFS, and I you know, I heard it enough times where I'm like, all right, I got to like plug this in the, the damn internet and figure it out. Um, and then, you know, once you kind of open up that box, it's like, wow, that's incredible. I mean, I, I was collecting Panini cards back when any relative would travel to Italy back in the 1970s uh, and 80s. Um, and so I'm just kind of a fan of, the, of that space as well. To me, it, it, it's a collision of all the things I love, fantasy sports, card collecting, uh, crypto, although I don't love crypto, but that's a topic for another day. Um, eBay, uh, it's like a, it's like the child of all those things. Um, so you've mentioned before that you have a bit of a physical card collection, um, and it's getting smaller by the day. I believe is that correct? Uh, yeah, that I, I do have about you know it's somewhere between fifty and eighty thousand uh, real soccer cards. I'm not overly proud of that. And, you know, my wife, my wife wants them like out the damn door. And so when the pandemic started, I endeavored to kind of start that process. Little did I know that the pandemic would also be aligned with a period of time when there's like all of a sudden like demand for this crap that was like rotting, um, you know, in the basement. And so uh, it's been a thrilling time to just be in the, in, in that space. Yeah. One man's trash, right? Is uh... Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about you uh, participating in SoRare is the fact that you're, on one hand, using your computer to sell physical cards and get them out of your house and then buying digital cards onto your computer, or wherever, yeah. wherever these things are, are, uh, are stored. By just buying and selling a bunch of worthless stuff. <laughs> How do you equate selling, like, you know, are you using eBay? What are you using to sell your physical cards? Yeah, no, nothing more sexy uh, than eBay. And then once you, you know, once you have some transactions with a ton of folks, you know, th then you just get kind of deal flow from from them and people they know and, you know, kind of. Gotcha. They, I don't have a website or anything. I'm not that sophisticated. Uh, so we specifically brought you on because um, we hear a lot of people talk about so rare as an investment and you were the first person to tell me that uh so rare buying so rare cards i don't know if you said it wasn't an investment or shouldn't be considered an investment um and i think people have very different views of what that investment actually is whether they're buying and selling cards or whether they're buying and selling uh eth or whether they're getting exposure to ETH through these cards and whatnot. Um, and in the nicer way than you told me, in a nicer way than you told me, can you um, at least try yeah. to uh, explain why 
why these aren't investments. I'll put yeah. it that way. No, uh, well, you know, I, I, I think they actually are. Um, I, I, think, I think what I believe is that um, is really the answer to the question, uh, is investing in so rare cards uh, the same thing as investing in ETH? That answer is unequivocally no. And I think, I think people understand that. When you buy ETH, you own ETH. When you buy so rare cards, uh, you know, you own the so rare card with all its, you know, superpowers, uh, as they'd like to say. Um, although, you know, none of, the, none of the cards have picked up my dry cleaning yet. So I'm yet to see all these wonderful powers uh, that they have. Um, when you take your ETH and buy a card with it, I believe... And like, there's a lot of smart people on the on, on the pod here and, and listening, and and and, made, and there's probably good views against this. But I believe you no longer participate uh, in ETH's movements up or down. You participate in the soccer cards movement. Uh, now, so then that brings us well, what moves the soccer card prices? Uh, I think most people would answer that question uh, incorrectly. Uh, I think people would start that answer and wax on about. Uh, you know, the players form, the players age, do they play midweek football? Are they in the playoffs? Are they getting relegated? Um, of course, there's some truth to those reasons, those factors that move card values. But I put all those reasons as like 11 through 20. And I think reasons one to 10 that move card values is Supply and demand, supply and demand, supply and demand, supply and demand. That's what moves the values, not the other stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think if you mine some of the data, and by the way, when I say mine the data, like, like look, this is a complex ecosystem. Uh, it, it's actually a fascinating ecosystem, the whole rare platform and the game economics. Uh, it, it's like we could analyze it all day. And anything I say, you're going to be able to go find specific examples uh, probably to the to the contrary. So I just put that um, you know I put that disclaimer on there, um, you, you know. But so so it's supply and demand really that drives the card values. Now what drives ETH's value? That that I'm not smart enough to tell you. And if I knew that, I wouldn't even be on the. Data it's always going to be supply and demand though. Like what drives supply and demand for the cards? It's a lot of times it, it can be form, right? Correct. No, you correct. And, and, and I was being a little cute saying that it's supply and demand mm -hmm. and not these factors. The reality is the factors I talked about mm -hmm. drive the demand piece, drive right. the demand piece. Now where it gets, and, and, and I think as, as a player of so rare, like what attracted me to the game is like, Oh, you know, Hey, I think I have an edge over the next guy or gal on like, you know, figuring out which players are going to go up and down and I'm going to be smarter because, you know, in DraftKings, I did real well sometimes. And so like, that's what attracts a lot of us to it. Um, and, and when so rare, if so rare and when so rare gets the macro, the macro game economics exactly correct and do an A plus job managing that. Now, I think that'll never happen because it's too hard. Uh, the smartest governments in the world can't manage like a whole ecosystem. So I don't think they're gonna be able to do it and that's not a knock on them, it's just complex. If they did that perfectly, then we could be in an, in an environment where those reasons like player form and you know midweek football are the drivers. But right now, 
Those are just the drivers of the demand side of the equation. There's this supply, because it's supply and demand. The supply is like a little bit more nebulous to all of us, right? Um, you know, the supply is like, how fast are they dribbling out cards? How many minutes between each auction? You know, Black, you're, you're on that. Like, you're, <laughs> you, you, you have data on that. I love it. Uh, when do they dribble out the cards for certain leagues? Like, there's a whole control of supply that all of us people that think we're soccer experts are not experts on that supply thing because we don't really have the full transparency on the levers uh, that so rare can pull. So, 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 so right now the so the drivers of these values, like you're not in as much control on as you think you are by being a smart soccer guy. I, I, can I, I think I can prove this where you can prove this the most. And, you know, and, and again, I tried not to be like bias on the data. Cause again, you could find examples of like a lot of different stuff. If you take some players who are, and, and I took, um, Kara Matoma, Gianni Bruno. Okay. And you know, what cracks me up about those guys? Like I thought I followed soccer before. So rare, <laughs> never heard of those players in my life. And now I'm like, Gianni Bruno should be on the Italian national team. He's a dual national. What? Why the hell have I ever seen him in the Azuri colors? But anyway. I'll be honest, uh, real quick, Evaldo. I find this, that, what you just said to be hilarious because I see people talking about some of these guys like they're, you know, like some weird Belgian league guy and they're like talking about him like he's a everyday, everybody needs to know who he is. You're like, yeah, why isn't uh, – Sure, Gianni Bruno. Why isn't he playing uh, uh, midweeks too? Like, why are they resting him? He's like <laughs> totally, it's crazy. Totally. But, but those players all had something in common. So I picked that group of players, and you, you could add in there like a Lorenzo Pellegrini, a Fernando Guerrerian. These are players that like consistently high scores, consistently play. No, at least to my eyes on the data, no like drop in form, no recent injuries. Guerrerian had a little bit, and so I. I really tried to keep the, the quality of the player constant and looked into the data a little, a little bit. And what I saw was, what I was seeing on the Sorare data graphs is I was seeing this period of time. And, and by the way, those cards also have some trade volume to them. Like you can't do this analysis with like some Ronaldo or Mbappe that just don't have the volume. When I was looking at the graphs on these things, I noticed that all of those cards that I mentioned were spiking the, 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 a, a long spike occurs at, at about um, late mid to late February and continues on to mid to late March uh, before starting to plateau. All, all of these quality players. And, I'm, and I mind that a little bit. And, and, I, and I said, well, shit, what did ETH do in that period? And so it was interesting. ETH on February 19th was 1900, 1960. On March 15th, it was 1791. So in this period of, you know, four weeks or so, ETH was down 8%. Notwithstanding that 8% downward thing, Bruno was up over 100%. Matoma was up over 160%, okay? And, and again, my whole, my, my whole starting point to the research was finding players that there should be no reason, no real good reason why there's massive spikes because a lot of things were constant with these players. Uh, Matoma had a season that was starting, so that's a little bit of noise. Um, and so that, that's just an example to me that like, 
you weren't participating in ETH going down 8% at that time. You were participating in something else. And by the way, that something else as well was not a change in form of Gianni, Bruno, or Matoma, was not an injury to those players, was not anything that you could see on the field, to my eyes. It was, what was the change? It was the supply of the cards in the ecosystem. There was an imbalance during that period, and that was driving prices in other ways that, that, that we couldn't foresee or know. So it, it, it's really disconnected. And, and now, now, so rare, what they're going to do is, and I'm rooting for them, uh, their business depends on being experts at the ecosystem and getting that supply demand chain calmed down and right. That's how they're going to maximize their revenues and not see what we saw a couple months uh, back. Um, and, you know, I'll, I, I think they'll do that. Then the cards will move almost, almost solely based on the player, like what's going on with the player. Now, now I have the under in so rare getting those economics right. I have the under, not because they're bad people or will do a bad job, because it's incredibly complex. And the one miss, the one variable in all this, it's always the people, stupid. It's the people that act irrationally based on how they interpret facts and make things go haywire, even if the thing is constructed in a nice way. So I'll come up for error there. Investing in so rare cards is not investing in ETH. All right. I, I agree that it's definitely not investing in ETH. But you have to, um, but you have to at least recognize that ETH affects the well. You, I, I, I I only think it does in the minutes and hours and day or two on large up or down swings when people haven't like adjusted their prices in the marketplace yet or have you know haven't done that yet. So we're not going to see many forty percent up and down swing. I hope we don't. Um, right. But yeah. but doesn't admitting that people have to adjust if there's a change in in ETH just imply that that it has to have something to do with it? No, because they're they're just using ETH as the plug figure to to get the dollar where they want the dollar thing to be. Okay. And pe people's mind do ridiculous tricks on them. So I was talking to one person. Okay, and this will be a quick story. Um, <laughs> even when people agree with these basic principles, they like they like screw up the application. So. And I'll use Matoma. I didn't talk to this person about Matoma, but I'll just use them for proxy because it makes the math easier. Um, so, so I talked to someone. They bought Matoma for one ETH when ETH was $1,000, let's say. It's around actually that time period in January. They won't sell him now for 0.5 ETH because they said they'll lose money. Well, but if they sell him for 0.5 ETH today, that's actually $1,300, not $1,000. So they've actually made money. Um, and then they say, well, well, I don't want to lose ETH. I, I said it wrong. I don't want to lose ETH, so I'm not selling them. And I said, okay, well, what if ETH went to a million dollars? Would you sell Matoma for not even 0 0.5, 0.05? And they said, oh, of course I would. Well, okay, then like, then their theory breaks down a little bit because it's about the money. You, you can't do any, this. I'll shut up after this comment, and this won't be a popular comment. This won't be popular. You can't do anything with ETH in everyday human survival, live my life day to day, take my kids to ice cream, buy my wife a new pair of shoes. You can't do anything with it, but buy worthless stuff today. So I don't know why it matters. I don't know why it really matters that much. It matters what it's valued at 
in dollars or euros or whatever, those things that you need to actually survive in the world. First of all, I would rather keep my ETH than to buy my wife shoes or my <laughs> children ice cream. So, Well, you got to buy her something because you're in front of the damn computer all day playing this <laughs> damn game. And so you're ignoring them. So buy them something. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. HG, you look like you had something to say about that. <laughs> I mean, where, where, where should I, I mean, where to start? Um, we we had a bit of a talk about it uh, before the show, and um, we we kind of agree on one thing is that, and my main point is, thinking in dollars is not possible on Soria because unless you're a guy like Ivaldo that has a great like method and strategy, it's not really a strategy but a way of doing like. Uh, withdrawing ETH um, on a not daily basis, but on a regular basis, and um, buying ETH to buy cards um, at the same time, basically. Um, well, if you if you don't do that, making X10 or X15 in fiat at one point or in dollars at one point, it doesn't make any sense because you're not withdrawing ETH at the same time. And SOA is not enabling you to bid in euros or in fiat or in dollars, whatever. You can't uh, put a price um, um, to sell a card in, in US dollars. So, I mean, when you have these up and downs with ETH, you have to control your cards um, that you are um, selling right now. <laughs> you, you can the same morning and the same night have like a $200 difference between the price that you set in the morning and the, the current price. I mean, thinking in fiat is, is I don't know, uh, uh, maybe a good way to see that you made some money, but you didn't actually because you didn't sell your eighth. And I mean, I asked Alert um, to um, run a bit of a poll on Twitter and we had like uh, 500 or something uh, votes on it. And the, the question was, uh, how often do you withdraw ETH? And like 70% of the, of the votes were, I never, I've never done it. And I'm like, okay, so don't tell me you're actually thinking it does. Because if you do, you're not going to make any money without if you're not withdrawing ETH. And you're depending on what ETH is going to do next. Because uh, you could have said like a, a week ago, oh, yeah, I've, I've made a ton of uh, good deals, X10, X10 in fiat, X10 in USD. And the week after, you didn't withdraw your ETH. And it's like down to X5 or something. And I mean, the... the I'm not blaming the people thinking that uh, thinking in dollars because Soya is making you think in dollars because they, um, by default, uh, show you the dollar price in big and the F price in small. But I mean, if we don't have the uh, the, the ability to set prices in uh, USD, get USD when you sell back a card. I mean, it's to me it's useless to think in dollars because you don't have the the ability to sell your ETH. Um, at the same time, if you want to uh, withdraw your ETH, I mean, Ivaldo, you're, I, I admire you for doing that because, I mean, withdrawing ETH is costly. Um, you have to send it to an exchange, sell, the, sell it in, in the exchange, 
I mean, it takes a lot of time, and it's and you lose money when do you when you do this. So the I big mean, the big I, problem I, I have go ahead Black, big go problem ahead. I have with them displaying uh, card prices in fiat is it's supposed to be a global game, and if we if we have a global game and we have you know hundreds of different currencies that that can be displayed for each end user, nobody's working on the same quote unquote system. You know, I see dollars, you see euros you see pesos, whatever. Um, it's hard to, for anything to be pinned to anything. It's hard to be working on the same, I don't know, playing field level, whatever. Um, but if if we just priced everything in ETH, I think it would be easier for everyone to just know, okay, that thing is worth blah. Like it, it would be, I think, just easier for everybody to just be on the same, uh, minds are in the same place. It's a nice, it's a nice practical expedient for some consistency for sure. But Maxim was exactly right. Like, I don't know that people totally realize, I'll just stick with Matoma as the example. If, if I sold Matoma, a Matoma card, when ETH was $4,000, you know, I sold it for 0.3 or whatever, whatever. Uh, right then and there, you are actually buying ETH at $4,000. You are buying ETH. You're using this currency that you have a soccer card. And if someone says, and so, so, so for me, so I sold about 40 cards, which was like a third of my gallery over the past three and a half weeks. Um, I, I wanted no part of ETH over oh shit, 3000. I certainly didn't want a part of it buying it over 3,500 or 4,000, but I was selling cards, but I realized, shoot, me selling cards right now is me purchasing ETH at these high prices, which I don't want to do. Um, but I, and I, I, I spent money to do this. It's costly. As Maxine said, you know, I was right away putting that into dollars right away. I mean, it'd be like two days or so. Um, you can't do so anything right away. You... So that I wasn't taking ETH exposure. Yeah. And you said it, uh, Andrew, like you can't do anything right away because you have to wait for the transfer to settle. And sometimes it can take like up to two days and you're yeah. You're waiting for your ETH to come on your balance, and uh, sometimes you can't do anything about it. And I mean, um, uh, yeah, people. Uh, I mean, that would be nice to have like uh, people all thinking in ETH and um, like denying uh, USD or euros, but that's not going to happen, sadly. And um, I mean, many people are asking me why prices are in ETH, unsorted data, etc. And I mean. First, it's the currency that everyone's using. So, I mean, it's pretty simple to, for me um, on a technical basis because if you have to deal with um, dollars, euros, um, I don't know, st uh, livre sterling, I don't know, you said like the UK currency, um, pound, yeah. Um, I mean, it's very difficult to do on a technical basis, but also, I mean, I like the fact that you're actually purchasing cards with F and not with dollars. And I mean, um, I'm not thinking in dollars or in euros until they actually implement a stable coin uh, purchase, uh, purchasing system because I think they are, with the Starquest solution being implemented soon, we are going to say goodbye to ETH. And I'm just speculating. I don't have any info on this. But I mean, I'm sorry. I'm I'm saying, okay, ETH, you, you did a great job, but now uh, we're going full fiat. And I mean, that, that would be nice because we would have like a valid um, ground, uh, common ground now because 
as Ivaldo can say, uh, Fiat is king still, and you can't buy anything with it uh, apart from Soria cards right now in the real world. But um, until then, um, I'm still thinking in earth, and thinking in dollars means I don't like it at all. We, we think stable coins are inevitable, though, right? They're, they're going to implement stable coin of some sort. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if they don't do it, someone else is going to do it. I will be doing it. I mean, if I can uh, um, build a marketplace uh, on Starkware, I will definitely implement other things than ETH. And just because that's a competitive advantage, I mean. Uh, but, I mean, regulation should come into play with this. I don't know how they're going to handle this. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe I'm I'm missing some points about the, I mean it's simple technically to implement stable coins um, with Starkware, but maybe there are other problems. And also, uh, I think so. Uh, um, user base right now is basically Europe and maybe France uh, mainly. I know uh, many of my users come from France, UK, and Italy. And so if you're using USDC as a stable coin, these guys would say, no, I'm thinking in Euro. Why don't you have a Euro stable coin? So D does, does the Euro have some kind of stable coin? No, no, because I mean, we are, we're, we're okay. always three years late. I mean, <laughs> you have dollars, like a stable coin for dollars, like for five so, years or something now, and nothing on the Euro side. Real quick for any of the, users listening that don't know what a stable coin is. It is a coin like USDT, USDC, DAI that is pinned, pegged to the to the dollar. So that coin is always worth one dollar. So yeah. um, it is a it, it is a it is a cryptocurrency that is pegged to the dollar. Let's not say that it's always worth a dollar because sure. Um, as always, you have to trust someone on this. Uh, let's say I'm um, issuing a stable coin, a euro stable coin or something. I have to prove that I have actually um, uh, the cash in bank to right. actually match the amount of tokens that I've uh, issued. So when you're um, like buying USDT or USDC, you're trusting... Um, the authority or the company that issued the token that they right. are actually a real dollar pegged. Or to you have something token. like Dai that is on the blockchain that you can't that is transparent and you know that is backed properly. Yeah, but then you have to trust that the smart contracts uh, operating Dai will not fail at some point. Sure. And it did at some point in in March 2020, I think, or back in 2020. I mean, it's recovered, but. Um, there's always a risk not uh, owning like a real hey, uh, we're, bank uh, bank. Note I mean, we're look where we're at right now. Of course, the I mean, we're going to take some risks. We're buying digital blockchain soccer card. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's probably safer to use <laughs> to, to to own uh, USDC than uh, soccer cards. But yeah, you. Let's just not say that um, since it's not a central bank you know, issuing stable coins, it's always uh, depending on the company that you have to trust. And it, it's worth saying too, like the, the discussion we just had about investing and movements. And I, I think, you know, one person said to me, um, might've been you black. Uh, uh -oh. What if I just think of this as a, it's a game that I enjoy playing and I have a lot of fun with. And to me, that was like, hallelujah. 
It's the best posture I've heard about the game in a while. And I think, I think that's a very nice way to kind of think about it and approach it. I think our dialogue was a little more geared towards, you know, I, I think there are people that approach it. I think I approached it in a way of like, I'm going to make money on this thing, you know? And I just, you know, I kind of, I kind of have the under on a bunch of people feeling like they're going to make a bunch of money on this thing. Of course, there's going to be exceptions, of course. Um, but I have the under. I mean, you have to see it as like, I don't know if you guys played mobile game, mobile games or at least PC games or something, but sometimes you have to buy hard currencies to actually own items in the game. It's actually the same thing. Unless, yeah. Well, the difference is you're buying ETH as the hard currency for Sora. And I mean, if you buy like 500 euros of ETH or credits, you could say it's credits. Um, I mean, in the real world, <laughs> you lose 500 euros and you have uh, those credits to enjoy your game. But here, you can enjoy a great game. I mean, I think it's a great game. And you can actually make money because you can sell those, those credits. And to me, everyone is forgetting this completely. I mean, it's... It, It never happened before in any game before. You could not buy uh, Fortnite skins or something and uh, sell back your points that you bought for 100 euros or something. FIFA is the best, best example. Uh, EA Sports is making like a billion, uh, a billion dollars um, <laughs> with, with uh, digital cards that no one is actually owning except They disappear every year. Yeah. And I mean... People don't don't complain that much, and, and and moreover, you don't even know what cards you're going to get when you're buying credits. <laughs> you have just an animation, and hopefully, one times in like a billion, you will going to have a Cristiano Ronaldo fun, though, appearing. Right? Yeah, but I mean, it's like having the possibility of actually buying Cristiano Ronaldo for um, like ETH, like a, a currency. And having the possibility to sell it and to actually sell the ETH that you're going to make. I don't game. think the people It's that play people to want to pay whatever the heck it would cost to buy Ronaldo. They want to try to buy a pack for you know the bare minimum to get lucky and win a Ronaldo that's worth a lot, a lot more of their in-game currency or whatever. Right. right. Does it? Um. Just one thing, and I, I don't mean to change the subject. It's all on the subject, but the um. What? what Concerns me, maybe not a concern, but what's on my radar a bit is I feel like there are folks, the general populace, there's a spirit of like, um, so, so rare kind of like owes me to like make the game mechanics in a way where my cards maintain value or don't lose value. There's that yeah. spirit. That's very mm -hmm. dangerous. Okay. Because like, You know, so right now, so rare is a one trick pony. Okay. They, they get revenue from bringing in cards, selling cards, and I'm sure they're hard at work to diversify their revenue streams, maybe selling nice, so rare sweatshirts like Maxime has. I, 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 I'm sure they'll do a good job diversifying the revenue base, but right now it's a one trick pony. That one trick of selling more cards. Guess what? The thing that devalues your cards is when there are more cards sold. So now, now, so rare, everything they've said and done, they are, they have been a huge steward, a huge steward 
of the people that have entered the game already and being very concerned and walking this tightrope very carefully to not be destructors of value. It's very impressive. It's very impressive what they've done to be the steward for the folks that have come in already. Um, I just think, and I'm not knocking them, uh, it is going to be a really, really hard tightrope for them to continue to walk as they're going to face pressures as a growing business, increasing revenues, bringing in more money. I mean, they have investors that want to get paid eventually that are going to push them. Uh, so Rare's mechanism to bring in revenue at a macro level is destructive to the current cards in the marketplace. At a macro level, at a macro level. So, but, but it worries me that people have this like, that company owes me to not pull levers that screw me. Yeah, that, like people are gonna get disappointed at some point. <laughs> so Rare is not gonna walk this perfectly forever and, and not because they're bad people or not smart people. It's just hard. We can't all get rich. We can't all win. <laughs> yeah, like, but I mean, the problem is, and maybe that's going to be unpopular, but there are so many people like, and that went early on Soraya. Like, I mean, I'm I'm one of them. Black is one of them. Um, you can have like Zuro, like a lot of French people that I know that did a crazy amount of money on so and um and i don't know what's the motivation of new users to come in and um maybe a lot of them are thinking i want to be the next guy doing a lot of money with Soraya. and while it's a great game i think people are basically playing Soraya to make money and yeah, as you said, at some point, so I was going to have to stop the party or at least lower down the volume and say, okay, we have given out a lot of money to some people. We're going to stop doing this because we are building a game and we are not building the next market that's going to make uh, some millionaires, even if we've done it already. And, and like... I mean, they tried to do it with the, the ETH uh, rewards being a bit um, like diminished or something. But I mean, they got, they got so much backlash from it that they said, okay, no, no, wait, we're going to still have monetary rewards. But I mean, if you want to have a game that is, um, let's say, sane, like you have people playing the game and not investing money, um, you will have to have sometimes like these rewards being removed from the game, and that that's that's not going to be a good moment to uh, live for them. The the I, in my opinion, the most critical thing for so rare to do as a business is to be to get these to to root out any supply demand imbalances in their ecosystem. That's what's going to maximize their revenue. And so they, I think they will be focused on knowing what the drivers are of supply and demand because they have the data, knowing what the drivers are and being proactive on managing that. Now, that same behavior of getting the supply and demand equation correct, that same behavior will also serve to minimize the opportunities for people to make large sums of money in the game, in my view. Of course, there's going to be people that can 
make money, they have some edge that they're going to exploit. But I'm talking about in general, the masses, because if the supply and demand is perfectly executed, all of this should be very muted. You know, the spikes will be muted. Um, so, you know, and we haven't even used the word yet. We haven't even used the term, which, you know, is really the, I'm not saying anything anyone doesn't know. The critical part to all of this is the user base, you know, expanding. That's the critical part to it. But, but again, as the user base expands, if Sorare pulls the levers the right way, they will use that user base expansion to maximize their revenue. And we all still feel like it's muted and, and like our cards don't spike up 100%. You know, Matoma is not a $20,000 card. Uh, I think that's why secondary marketplace fees are important because it, it leaves the incentive for them to want secondary market transactions to occur. Yeah, 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 no, I agree, totally. And I know everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people are like, no, fee, why would, why do we want fees? Why do we, well, they, they need to have an incentive for those to occur. Otherwise, ramp up the primary market sales when right. new users come in. Right, right. Also, a theory I have, let's say, is that we will have two separate games, let's say. It will not be presented at separate game, uh, as separate games, but I think we will have some like a separation between the new scarcity, let's say, and common cards and the current cards because that, that would be a great moment for Sora to say, okay, we will issue like a thousand cards for uh, players, but you will have a division uh, that will be for uncommons only and that will be low rewards maybe a rare for some people but not a lot of rewards and because those cards will be way cheaper than rare cards um well we will have like players uh, investing or let's say um <laughs> giving to Sora a hundred dollars or something to play the game actually enjoy it not getting like a crazy amount uh, a crazy return on investment and you will have the big guys playing with rare uh, super rares and uniques and uh, if they can find the balance uh between those two games really that could be a, a fun uh, a fun game and also not having all those rare card on uh, rare cards on us today not um, uh, getting their pitchforks out and saying, uh, we want our money back. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, the, the uncommon scarcity is a, a great opportunity for them and they need to think this through uh, very carefully to me. I think uh, Black, what you said earlier, like not everybody's gonna get rich. Like, I don't think everybody who comes in to SoWare saying like, I'm coming in to make money necessarily thinks that they're going to get rich. Like there are plenty of people who play DFS because, and it, like DFS costs money and they're either a break even player or they just lose, but like they like the game. And so they're willing to spend their money doing that. Like, I think there are plenty of people who can come in and buy these so rare cards. Like, oh, this is cool. I own, you know, whatever players and you're doing your research. And there are plenty of people who would like jump into Jupiler research for free and now it's like oh maybe i can make five bucks and if they lose a hundred like yeah they're probably okay with that we just need to get a lot of those people for us to get rich sure 
Yeah, yeah, but w when you play DraftKings or something like, you lose your entry fee if you yeah. lose uh, if you lose the game. Like you, you, you don't earn anything, and so our tournaments are free to enter. And I mean, like, when you so, when you buy so your card, yeah. So you're basically paying all of your entry entry yeah. fee up front when you buy the cards. It's like right. here's all my money for my entry fees. <laughs> Definitely is the way I and, think of and it. And you can sell that card back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And, and yeah. make a profit somehow. You told you told me that my first day, Black. Like when I was like asking a lot of dumb questions, you told me that concept. Like you're you're just paying the money up front and then letting your cards almost pay you with ongoing dividend or interest payments. And that really like changed my lens a little bit as I was kind of learning. Yeah, that was, that was helpful. Yeah, um, I was going to go on another story here, but Evaldi, you have to leave us. Um, but we'd like to have you back whenever you're free. But thank you very much for coming on. Seriously, it was, it was very helpful uh, explaining that side view. Yeah, thank you guys. Take care. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. So I had somebody contacting me literally today um, asking like how much money they think they could make, how much money they thought, I thought they could make buying and selling cards on SoRare. Yeah. And it was one of those questions where I'm just like, there is really not a simple answer to this question. Like I have a hundred questions for you before mm -hmm. I can even answer that question. But um, it kind of went along with that uh, Twitter poll issue that you brought up that like all these people aren't withdrawing from SoRare. So like people ask me like, how much money have you made on SoRare? And I'm like, how are you valuing this? Like I have not withdrawn from SoRare yet. Like I've bought and sold cards and I've, theoretically profited on those cards. And I've just taken that. So the, the real question cards. is how much money have you lost on SoRare? <laughs> That's it. How much F have I bought to play SoRare? I believe is actually the question you're asking. But it was like, so I think um, people who come in, they're like, I'm going to go play SoRare to make money. And you're just like, well, 
if you do that, one, you have to decide what, what kind of money you're making. If you think F is money, are you just trying to accumulate F? If you don't think it is, and it's just a way to get more dollars or euros or pounds, like whatever, like you need to figure that out. But ultimately it was like, I think there are just too many people who don't have an out. Like we're saying like, we're all gonna be rich or we all can't be rich. But like, if you get rich on so rare, how does that happen? Is it you constantly selling cards and withdrawing? Is it you one day just building up your, your F balance in so rare and one day pulling it all out? Or are you just gonna try to sell your gallery when it gets to a certain point and then you leave? Like, I don't, someone's like, can you get rich? I don't even know what rich means on so rare anymore. Like, I, I have no idea. So what is it? I mean, I mean, being early helps a lot. I mean, um, I think like even today is kind of early to me. Like, I think we'll we'll watch this video in in six months and uh, we'll say, oh, that was real early because if we get a new scarcity, we'll get way more people if they go all in on marketing uh, operations, etc. So, I mean. If you get early, I mean, you you have a pretty good shot. And I mean, my strategy was always, uh, I uh, I have a good friend of mine that loves soccer. And it, he told me like, buy only blue chips, like uh, let's say good players, players that start uh, basically every game that are well-known, uh, let's say Bayern players, like you will always find value in Bayern players like Kimmich or... I mean, they are expensive, but um, I, I have no problem thinking that Kimmich will be still a football player and a very good one uh, in, two, well, let's say, two years from now. And while uh, these two years actually happen, I will play him like uh, 40 times uh, on so and have the opportunity to make money and to earn more cards because um, of discount. So... I mean, I guess to me, the best strategy is not trying to do like a big um, uh, sale and uh, like buying a prospect and wait six months before he gets a start and scores a goal and all something. I mean, if you do want to play it safe, uh, I mean, to me is buying good players that um, still will have value in like two years or something. I think that's a big problem though for like I've got buddies of mine that like have checked it out and are like that looks fun but just my god it's expensive and they want to buy those blue chips right they're the most interesting to watch they want to watch Bayern and PSG and root for their guys but it they want to buy those players right now it's way out of their price range but new scarcity comes in and they can acquire those players at a you know, quote unquote, reasonable number. Um, I think that that's, I think you're right on. That's when we're going to see big influxes of, of users that come on board. But I mean, to me, the, the current game is not an affordable game. It will not be a universal game. It will not be uh, a game that anyone could afford, can afford. And I'm, I'm fine with it because, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm lucky because uh, <laughs> I bought Vanaken like, uh, two years from now, but um, I mean, uh, it's fine uh, that we have a game for 
players that actually have money to invest or to actually buy cards. And we have another game that is way more affordable, but a bit more frustrating for the guys that will come in because they will say, oh, look at these guys that have uniques and super rares and rares that are making money or etc. or have a, a crazy return on investment. But I mean, <laughs> we took the risk, or the, the users that were here um, in 2019 took a big risk in spending crazy amount of ETH on unique cards that were on a, let's say, shady website. Um, <laughs> I, I don't say that it was uh, like, I mean, she has, she, if you were buying cards in the first auctions or, or, or something, you were very brave to do so because you had absolutely no guarantee that the game is going to take off at some point. You had no guarantee that uh, the team is not going to go away with the money at some point in time. I mean, uh, taking the risk now pays off, and um, I think I'm fine with this. I saw. I I don't disagree with what you just said. I mean, I saw the beginning of this this game, and I walked away. I was like, "What?" Like, uh, it was Mark that showed it to me, and he uh, kept sending me links, and I was like, "All right, I'll check it out." And I like the. I think the first auctions were like. I don't know. I don't remember. They were just really weird. It was like only yeah. at specific times, like on specific days. And yeah. uh, it, it, almost, it didn't seem, sh I, I wouldn't use the word shady, but it was just like, okay, this is not, this is not something that's going to work. Not I, I, I immediately, what, what's up? Was it just not serious? But I don't, I wouldn't say it wasn't serious. I just, it didn't look, it didn't look professional at the very, very beginning. And I just like, okay, whatever. I closed the tab and moved on to something else. And six months later, I came back and it looked much better. Yeah, I mean, it looked like a website with 30 users at the, at the time. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was the reality. Yeah. And uh, um, people took a big risk and, <laughs> and took, a, took their chances. And yeah, uh, Mark and Zero and uh, guys like, the, like them like, uh, stayed for like two years. It's like saying that the people who bought Bitcoin at some point in, in 2012 or 2013, like they became rich just because they bought Bitcoins like uh, Lurk or something. But the crazy thing is that they didn't sell. Right, they had those diamond hands. I mean, yeah. I mean, I bought Bitcoins like when I was 17 or 18. I don't remember exactly what was my age, but that was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And... I sold them back at the bottom, and and I mean, the courage that these guys um, had to not sell at some points is, is is remarkable, and uh, I'm fine with these guys being rich because they they did the right moves at the right time. You said uh, something earlier to me today when we were talking about buying cards, and uh, one of the questions in our notes was like, "Have you ever bought cards with fiat?" And my answer was yes. I bought most of my cards with a debit card and I didn't, I deposited at once in the site and I think I had bought 40 cards before that. Um, I guess some of it, I may have sold some and then used the F from there. But H, you made the point, like I didn't actually buy cards with Fiat. I bought F from so rare yeah. and I used that to buy the cards and that blew me away. Uh, because obviously that's the case. And then never once did I consider that. Like 
your exposure to eth begins right away on so rare and now we're talking about maybe it don't it won't exist anymore in a few months right yeah but i mean i i find it very misleading that you are actually able to bid at some point in time in fiat or in usd i mean i find it very well to me it's misleading because as i as i told you before you can bid on an auction 70 hour, uh, 70 hours or something before the, the auction actually ends and uh, if you place your bid uh, three days uh, three days ago or something <laughs> you paid like maybe 40 dollars for um, a small amount of F and today uh, you would have paid like 20 bucks or maybe 25 bucks for the same amount. And at the end of the day, if you are the winner, you have paid 40 bucks for a card worth $25 and you have lost $15. If you are evaluating cards um, in US dollars um, and, and it, it's, it's really frustrating to me because I mean, you. I, I don't know how to explain it, but I'm paying in ETH. I'm not paying in euros. And since I'm not getting euros, I, I can consider the fact that I'm buying cards in, in fiat. Of course, fiat is a good way to actually see if you're not paying like too much, too much money for a card. Sure. But since I'm not withdrawing any, any ETH uh, at the same time, I will just be misled. I mean, my valuation in US dollars of my uh, my Gary valuation in US dollars is doing this. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I was like at the beginning, it, maybe it was worth 10K. Now it's worth like um, 100K. Um, but it's money I, I don't have because since I'm not withdrawing ETH, and since uh, Team Sora is not providing me US dollars, it's just invisible money to me. Yeah, I think that's that's fundamentally like where I stopped. Like I I would only look at US dollar prices when I started because it was like that's that's how I'm getting money out of my account. Like I'm I have dollars and I'm going to turn these dollars into cards and however that happens, it's like that's it. But I there was I don't know what the point was, but at some point I started only thinking in F, and um, I think the the huge swings in the U.S. dollar to F conversion in the last two days has made me like start looking at dollars again. But I still fundamentally look at F. But I think what's interesting is how many people will buy and sell cards only thinking about fiat. So it's like they don't care if they had an an F profit or loss, as long as they theoretically sold their card for more US dollars than they bought it for, they consider that a profit, except the F that they now own could be worth a tenth of what it is tomorrow. And, and that's something that everybody seems to ignore when you're only thinking about fiat. Because F does not only go up, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but but that's the point. I mean, right. like if you're a six months or a user, you only have seen F go up, right? And like seeing it go down by forty percent in one day, 
is something completely frightening to uh, <laughs> to someone normal to to someone that don't know crypto. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'm actually curious to see how the market will react. I I know that the Soria market always reacts a bit behind, like two or three days behind um, the F um, uh, fiat market. So I'm curious to see what will happen. But yeah, I mean, the like, the, the profit that you made uh, is just gone. So I think the the secondary card market uh, reacts incredibly quickly to declining F. And that everybody's like, oh, now that this card that I posted for $1,000, it's now only posted for 500. I need to go repost it. So I'm doubling the, the F uh, purchase, you know, asking price. That happens immediate. Nobody wants to, to lose fiat. But if F is skyrocketing, nobody's going in and be like, I should lower this price. Uh, right now, the, the, the crazy thing to me is that you are not able to set a euro or USD price for for a card, and I mean that is such a big problem. I don't know how you can let people list a card, uh, say uh, it's you're listing it for um, let's say 0.1 ETH, and it's worth like uh, 150 dollars, and you come back. And see that your card sold for a hundred dollars, and you didn't have your say. You know, like you, you, maybe you wanted to, to sell the card for a uh, hundred and fifty dollars, and because ETH goes down, um, you sold it at a completely different price. And I mean, it's to me, it's wrong. I mean, I disagree, and I think I think. Everybody has their own goal. Let them go after their own goal. If they if they want to try to accrue more F, let them try to accrue more F. If they want if if they want sure. if they care about dollars or pounds or whatever, then they need sure. to be very very careful about the swings yeah. in the market. I mean that it's not a good user experience to me. I mean, sure, uh, you're doing everything for everyone to think in dollars or in euros, and you're not. Yeah. Uh, getting the ability to users to actually set their, their prices in euros. So what are you doing? You're sending just mixed signals and you're confusing people. Well, and you're still showing prices in euros, dollars, etc. And you're still showing a balance in, in ETH. And I do agree mixed signals. I hate that. Like pick something. Uh, why, why, do we have, why do we have multiple options? Why are we showing two things? I would rather like if, if you want to go buy dollars, go buy dollars. If you want to pick something, yeah. I mean, I, I I told Nicola that before, and he knows that's a problem, and uh, I think that's why um, Starkware uh, implementation will be only in dollars, and I don't see it um, involving ETH. Uh, hmm. Maybe at the beginning, but uh, I mean. <sighs> You have to solve this problem at some point if you want to have like an affordable and uh, uh, universal game um, that anyone can play. I mean, you have to stop selling cards in F or stop showing USD prices or uh, Euro prices. You have to make a choice. That's what I was going to say. Do you think it's it would actually just be better if they didn't show fiat price at all? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's like... If you don't know it, if you like uh, choose whether be, because you 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 arrive on Soria 
let's say you're not signed up yet. Okay. So you see prices only in fiat. So let's say you're an American user. You see that Zimbabwe card, it says it's worth like $5,000 or something. Uh, you say, okay, let's sign up. And now you see $5,000 and some uh, amount in ETH. Okay. So by assuming that the price that is actually showing in big is the dollar, when you actually try to buy this card or if you want to sell a card at some point, you might actually think that you're listing the card in dollars or not in ETH. And I mean, if you're not watching the market and if you don't care at all about ETH or crypto, you can get misled by a lot of money. <laughs> and I mean, that's, I don't know how it can still be that way. And um, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm. I think it's one. hard to say that that's misleading. It's just, it, it's like you said earlier, it's probably not the best user experience. And I think that they're, you know, the end user in the end, if they're getting ready to spend that amount of money, they really need to do their homework um, before they go out and spend 10 grand on a card. Do you think there is a decent size um, user base that would stop participating if the game was like removed from F or F was removed from the game? Excuse me. No, I think it, it, it would. I mean, like, I think there are people who play the game specifically to accumulate F because they and, think that, okay. And if that's yeah. not an, basically not an option anymore, I mean, you can still make well, money. You can make money, withdraw it, and then buy F. Yeah, I mean, uh, but nobody yeah. withdraws anyway. <laughs> I mean, if you have the possibility to withdraw to an exchange that uh, for practically no fee, you can still. Right by ETH with the cards that you sell. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that this would have like an impact on the user base. Maybe some of the maximalist crypto guys uh, would leave the game, but I mean, why would you leave? Because doing this would mean like reaching thousands and thousands uh, more people. Yeah, that I think it was the... just fundamentally kind of what Ivaldo said that like, I think people think that they're getting very clear exposure to F by buying cards. And while there is some sort of connection, you're not actually buying F. And so if you wanted to buy, if you wanted to own F, you would you should just buy it. And so if there was an easier way, if, if the easier way to buy cards is not through F, then you have to make it easier for people to get their money, their dollars out so that they could then buy F. Like I'm not, I just, I feel like there, there are definitely people here who think I'm going to accumulate as much ETH as I can because it's going to go to $100,000 and that's when I'll sell it. And we kind of lose that if, if we lose it, if we, if it separates from ETH. Yeah. But is it what's uh, brought you to Soria? No. I mean, so I was targeting people like you, I mean, people who enjoy DFS enjoy soccer and I mean they don't they don't target crypto users or something so I mean that's not a problem I do have a question for both you guys um and we I don't think that we really addressed it uh do you think that purchasing a so rare card or cards kind of protects you against the 
I guess the potential market crashes, does it protect your, you know, if I have a hundred dollars to spend in, in ETH. So let's say I have 0.1 ETH. When I purchase an NFT, does it protect, protect my money against, oh, yes. against the ups and downs? That would be saying that uh, cards are evaluated are evaluated by the market in fiat, and I'm not sure it's right. I mean, you have to find the right buyer say that agrees with you and say, okay, I'm evaluating this card at um, a certain amount in US dollars. So yeah, but I mean. I'm not sure it's the right way to edge against a market crash. I mean, <clears throat> just sell your ETH and <laughs> you're going to be edged uh, against a market crash. Right, like isn't the, isn't the hedge against F not buying F? Like what am well, I, yeah. why am I buying it if I want to stay ways, though, right? Like if you, you if, you, if you purchase a card, you're you're not no longer participating in the run-up, right? Mm -hmm. If you purchase a card, are you no longer participating in the the crash? The crash. Yeah, but I mean, so uh, like the the volume in ETH is ridiculous if you compare it to exchanges, etc. I mean, you could. I have never looked at that to be honest. I just assumed they were pulling it. Like, how often do they pull that data? Who like the so or, like the exchange data? Ah, I mean, I think it's real time. Is it? Okay. No. I always I mean, wondered that too. I never thought yeah. of, I never looked to see exactly. Yeah, me, it's not real time. And I mean, <laughs> I know why it's not real time because it's tough to code actually. Yeah. Um, but what I do, I'm sorry, I did, and I want to say, because apparently not a lot of people know this, but you have actually... Um, uh, valuation in US dollars and euro on sorry data and you can actually see the prices the historic prices in euro and um, and US dollars I know that um, it's mostly ETH and I'm going to change that and if I don't <laughs> at some point so I will force me to do it because they won't accept ETH anymore in my opinion but I mean the, the, the data is here you can check on Soria data if um, uh, the valuation in uh, US dollars and uh, in Euro moves a lot. Um, yeah, so just want to say that because apparently not a lot of people, not I'm not doing my job right, um, apparently, but uh, yeah, you can go on the player page and see that. And see that. What, do you, what would have to happen for them to, in your mind, you, like, you think they're gonna move off of F. Like, what would have to happen for them not to do that? I mean, nothing. I mean, it, I mean, to me, it's impossible. I mean, they oh. have to go have out to. of it. I mean, yes. No, there's one. There's one world where um, there's another financial crisis, and everyone realizes that banks are actually uh, owning your money, and you're not owning your money yourself. I mean, that's why that's why crypto exists. I mean, Bitcoin is here because we had the uh, 08 crisis and uh, people lost crazy amount of money because banks told them, hey, we're closed, sorry. And um, I mean, um, 
there's one world where uh, Bitcoin actually becomes a currency that is accepted by um, everyone and ETH um, goes the same way, but I don't see it's happening like in the near future. So when you have someone that is uh, Nicolas Julia, the CEO of Soria, that is repeatedly saying, we want the game to be affordable. We want the game to be simple for people. I don't see ETH staying a very long time. And I think that by the end of 2021, it will be gone. Real quick, just so we don't confuse anyone. Um, when you say that, you mean that the currency in the game will no longer be ETH, but these will always be NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah, sure. I yep. mean, you can have like um, NFTs are not linked to ETH yep. at all. You can say I'm trying, I'm selling my NFTs for USDC or for hundred percent another. I just NFT. want to make sure everybody yeah. understands sure. that that we're sure, sure. But yeah, you you. So has the choice to implement another stable coin or something. They 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 could do it right now. Hmm. Um, just the last thing we were touching on this a little bit before uh, Evaldo came on, but uh, fundamentally, what's going to be the what are the the biggest differences when they start using the Starkware? Like from a from the user perspective, like obviously things are going to be faster. Like that's what we're told. Yeah. But like, do we? Does somebody like me recognize any difference? Sure. Yeah. I in mean, what way? You, you see the transfer in progress, yellow text, gone. Um, wondering if your balance is up to date, gone. Um, having like to wait for your rewards for like three days sometimes, that's gone. I mean, that's it's, it's going to be pretty much frictionless. I mean, It'll be as fast as just a database on the back end. Yeah, sure. And I, um, Black, you experienced it uh, back in the days when it was on the Loom network. And for mm -hmm. the early users, it was a great experience because you were clicking on a button and it was done pretty much instantly. Like in, 100%. in, in two to five seconds, it was on the blockchain. And it's going to be exactly the same. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's only great things. I, I don't see... Uh, Maybe you lose kind of a like some security because you like the, the the amount of trust that you have to give to Sora is a bit higher than yeah currently because and I'm not sure if it's minuscule though right but yeah but it, it it doesn't really matter I mean it's it's just advantages um, at this point yeah I think one of the things that people always say is like if something happens to Sora like we'll always own our cards. Like that doesn't change. So like, yeah, I mean, I, let's say I'm, 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 I'm from a technical point of view and I know what's possible and I know what's not. And what I said before is that Soya has never done anything um, related to card ownership like saying to someone you don't own this card why they actually own them on the blockchain but since they own their keys did some shady stuff with it so um i mean i trust her on this point but you always have to keep in mind that they are hosting your your access to the cards and um, if at some point, like, they decided to, to stop doing this or, I don't know, the, the business go 
you know, you know, or something, you could lose access to your cards. Some someday we might they may build, and I, I hope to see something like this an integration where you can provide your own your own wallet and tie it to your account and. Yeah. But we're just not there. And I mean, it's we see it with Stopshot and um, the Flow Network. I mean these people are not caring at all about blockchain or about crypto or about anything or about security. I mean, to me, Flow is not a blockchain. It's a maybe <laughs> distributed database and that is validated by Dapper Labs and some other companies that have some... Ties. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not a blockchain to me. And I mean, we see that users don't care. So, I mean, it should not be a problem for Soraya and you should not be worried about your cards on Soraya. I mean, I mean, these guys, I trust them uh, very much. And uh, I mean, it's, it's not in their interest to do anything wrong or related to card ownership anyway. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I think we covered everything that I had down. Did we forget something? It was a lot. We uh, we thought we might go long today, and we did. But uh, hopefully, everybody got a lot out of that. Um, although I real quick, since we have HG here, do we want to let him plug his new uh, lineup builder and some yeah. of the other stuff that he's building? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. HG, yeah. just talk about all the stuff yeah. that now makes the greatest website on the internet yeah. even better. Yeah, thanks for that. But yeah, so. I'm working with uh, Matt Hay, which is uh, who is a, a SOAR manager and is uh, really good at doing, uh, um, I don't know, you say it in English exactly, but uh, screens, uh, beautiful screens. User uh, experience, maybe? Yeah. But I mean, uh, mockups uh, or mm -hmm. wireframes, I don't know how you say it. But yeah, so I'm working with him. He's doing a great job and he's working on some features on SOAR data and one of the work that he's done is on the lineup builder. And I mean, when you play a side game on Sora data, you have to pick players anyway. And until now it was pretty basic and uh, like, let's say <laughs> not very sophisticated, but you could do, you could pick your cards, etc. So that was working, but now we had, we have a great interface um, I mean, I think it's beautiful. Uh, Matt did a great job. I spent a lot of time uh, integrating um, his work. And so I encourage you to go to uh, the lineup builder, which is accessible uh, by your gallery. Or if you click on your username in the top right corner and you click on my lineup builder. And uh, anyway, if you play um, a sort of data side game, you will also see it's in action and you know the first time i came on the podcast or well before the sorry andrews podcast i told Laird about uh, the expected score and i told him it was going to happen in like the beginning of april so yeah uh long overdue but it's going to happen and it's going to be integrated in like the builder i started the work it's actually way more difficult than i actually thought it would be i mean I know Expected some guys. That, score is progressions, right? Or pro projections, man. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. I know some guys at RotoWire that that do the this work. Uh, I thought it was easy to do, but 
that apparently is way more difficult than I believed it was. But yeah, um, uh, the, the lineup builder will also integrate automation and etc. So that are actually building your lineups for you. And actually, you could have a game saying beats our data. So I propose to you a lineup and try to build a better lineup with your gallery. That's awesome. Yeah. And also, um, something that uh, is not really known, like you can build uh, other people get, uh, lineups with the lineup builder. You I can did this go today. You can go to let's say Black's Gallery, uh, click Ooh. on the on the. It, it it always existed. You could do this uh, yeah. uh, three weeks ago, but no one knew. And uh, yeah, you can go on the on your gallery and click on the um, link that goes to the lineup builder, and you can build Black's lineups. And something I want to do is a cup when where you have a gallery that is the same for everyone let's say Laird's gallery or something and see who's the best manager. The Laird's to... gallery. Yeah, yeah. I want that to won't be that them. exciting, actually. <laughs> you should definitely pick somebody else's gallery. Yeah, but I mean, a small gallery it means mm-hmm. um, like you have to make the best choices. Like mm-hmm. if you have like a 40 cards gallery and everyone's paying, let's say. Um, yeah, interesting choices. I love that idea. You, yeah. you, you, we should do that with your gallery, Laird, and you should like send a um, a jersey with your name on it. Well, real quick, my name to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmer was actually talking about doing this, and we'll have to use this new feature to to give something away because he was going to let somebody build a lineup with his gallery, and then uh-huh. wanted to give away any prizes that were won. I built Jimmer one of Jimmer's teams today. That's who I was doing it for. Um, Thanks. We'll see how that happens. The worst part was I was like, you should enter this. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm in this one. So maybe I'll do something I'm not entering so it doesn't beat mine. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, but if you win the if you win the reward anyway, so you're you're winning twice. Maybe, mm-hmm. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Is that multi-accounting now? I should yeah, I mean, you, you will be banned from ISO 5 if you do that. Right. <laughs> Just what I need. <laughs> At least can I still play on the Sora Data Cup, though, if I'm banned from SO5? So there's a rule in the cup rules that says that if you're banned from SO5 tournaments, you might also be banned from sort of data side games. Might also. Yeah, might. I mean, Maybe. I accept ETH, yeah. USDC, <laughs> also Bitcoin. <laughs> I only have stable coin. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. No fiat? No, no, no bank. No, no, I don't have a bank. I don't have a bank account. <laughs> All right, I'll see what I can do. Uh, Maxine, thank you so much for coming on. Um, if uh, everybody here is watching on YouTube, if you could please just hit the like button below. If you are listening to the audio version, if you could please just rate and review it wherever you listen. Once again, this is the So Rare Andrews podcast brought to you by Rotowire. We'll be back next week with another topic that uh, I'm sure we'll come up with uh, right after this podcast, and then it'll explode early next week. So check that out. Maxine, Andy, good to see you, and uh, we'll see you again. Or talk to you again. Thank you for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. For more great content, visit rotowire.com slash soccer. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.